Welcome to the Chrisman Commentary Daily Mortgage News Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Chrisman. Topics on today's episode include natural disasters, my interview with Tom Booker on the reduction of repurchase risk for mortgage lenders, and the latest look at weekly jobless claims. Today's podcast is presented by Candor, home of the one-touch underwrite, supporting lenders from point of sale to post-close QC. Reduce repurchase risk, increase underwriter productivity by 400%, and decrease turn times by 10 days. California is currently going through a heat wave. Sacramento set a temperature record on Tuesday at 116 degrees, which is taxing the state's power grid as energy demand breaks records and power officials request homeowners to turn down their air conditioning. A break in the heat could come due to Hurricane K bearing down on the state which would mean California may be trading the heat for flooding. Did you know that 66% of Americans don't feel fully prepared for potential natural disasters? With many lacking key emergency preparedness items such as generators, emergency evacuation kits, and radios, you're more likely aware that the hot housing market continues to cool. Home sales are falling in response to rising interest rates, and there's still a mismatch of supply and demand. Fannie Mae reported that high home prices and mortgage rates weighed on housing sediment in its August Home Purchase Sediment Index, or HPSI, which posted the sixth consecutive monthly decline. Ivy Zellman's forecast model predicts that in 2023, U.S. home prices will fall 4% before another 5% drop in 2024 due to rising inventory levels and falling demand. Though not everyone agrees with Zellman's outlook. Zillow predicts that U.S. home prices will rise another 2.4% next year, while Goldman Sachs predicts that U.S. home prices will rise 1.8% in 2023 and 3.5% in 2024, as does CoreLogic, Fannie Mae, and Freddie Mac. For today's interview, I wanted to welcome onto the show Candor's Tom Booker to talk about repurchase risk for lenders. He's the Chief Strategic Planning Officer at Candor, and before that served at Franklin Financial Group, the Collingwood Group, CoreLogic, and First American Financial. He has extensive experience in financial needs analysis, which includes a specialty in advisory services. Let's start, you know, this this interview is about why zero repurchase risk is the new normal. And repurchases are a challenge to lenders. Tom, could you begin our discussion with a definition of repurchase? Sure, Robbie. It's something that if you were to go look at Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac's definition of terms, they actually definition, they actually define a repurchase date, but they don't tell you what a repurchase is until much later. And they define it in these terms. Repurchase is the result of one or more defects that either necessitates a change in the price on which the loan was acquired or results in the loan being acceptable for per- unacceptable for purchase had the true and accurate information about the loan been known at the time of purchase. Loans with findings and price-adjusted loans are not loans with significant defects. So a repurchase is really driven by some significant defect that occurs. But ultimately, repurchase is an example of an operational risk that results in material financial risk. Yeah, so let's let's dive into that briefly. When when a repurchase occurs, how, how does a lender remedy it and, and what is the effect on their capital? First of all, when a repurchase demand is made, a lender finds himself in a position where they have to be able to either rebut the demand or they have to be able to, um, in effect, comply with the demand. Compliance with the demand could be 
a repricing of the loan, or it could be an actual repurchase of the loan. Uh, both of those scenarios typically result in some, some sort of financial risk. There's also a set of outcomes that can happen if you can, if you can rebut the loan, where you can negotiate for an indemnity or a make whole or some other recourse arrangement that allows you not to actually have to execute the repurchase, but it really is a function of your ability to provide evidence to support the fact that that repurchase is not the only remedy that will resolve the issues before you. Zero repurchase risk is kind of the new normal for mortgage lenders. Why is that? I mean, it sounds like great news. <laughs> well, let me uh, let me give you my point of view. Since the financial crisis, there have been many efforts to reduce the risk of mortgage making in general. Restrictions on loan features, TRID, AUS platforms for, platforms for eligibility, property inspection waivers, provisions of reps and warrants for calculation, and the list goes on. Um, during the same time, we've experienced 10 years of extraordinarily low interest rates, robust residential real estate appreciation, and that's generated significant loan origination volumes. However, repurchase rates have been relatively benign, but inconsistent. Benign in that roughly six basis points of securitizations by Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac to as high as 12 basis points on average over the last five years result in repurchase. Now, that's an admirable showing during the halcyon days of, of high volumes. But mortgage banking profits are sub-20 basis points through Q2 of 22, making a nine basis point average repurchase share admirable in 2020, but a material challenge to achieving profitability in 2022 and beyond. Mortgage lenders and mortgage banking profitability investor confidence will be buttressed very significantly by mortgage makers achieving zero repurchases heading into what is shaping up to be a very difficult period. So long and short, the, the mortgage, the zero, the zero repurchase is really something that is about giving the mortgage lender a better shot at profitability and assuring the investor that there's a standard of care that will sustain through this difficult period. And maybe the natural question would be, how is zero repurchase risk achieved and how does candor fit into to this equation? Yeah, that, well, when you look at mortgage makers now, they've been making real attempts to increase quality. The challenge has been cost and sustainability of loan quality. With the average profitability of about 60 basis points since 2003, so that's over the last 19 years, the industry has made on average about 60 basis points. There's not been a way to reduce costs and increase quality. Those have been the twin perils. Lower volumes mean stiffer competition for loans, deep diving deeper into the credit stack and working harder to qualify borrowers, all leading to more complex income, asset and credit profiles precisely the environment for an uptick in significant defects. So it's critical to engineer out the opportunity for errors that could become significant defects and further impact mortgage lender profits. Now, the role we play in that is that we are one of the systems approaches that could be advanced and implemented that will begin to address that issue directly. So you mentioned earlier basis or profitability and basis points is way down. You also said Volumes are way down. Those things are well known uh, as as challenges for originators right now in the mortgage space. Why is now the time to zero in on zero repurchase risk? Well, you know, there's there's many lenders who have achieved 
that threshold in a given year and at relatively low origination volumes today, there are scant few that have sustained that level of quality at scale. For two years, nearly none that have sustained that performance. And for three years or more, almost none, period. Sustaining these levels of quality requires a different approach to the LOS, the loan quality problem. This lender would implement systems inside their LOS and POS and post-closing functions that would use expert systems to precisely capture data and documents, make, make calculations and uniformly underwrite process and assess the quality of loans while in production. The key is while in production. So if you ask me right now, the key is in the past, we've looked at this as a set of systems where you try to do everything you could prior to delivering the loan to the investor. What we're talking about right now is being able to look at difficult loans in thin markets where you can make the production decisions and understand the quality of what you're originating in production. And I think that's one of the key reasons right now we should approach this. Agreed. What would a lender actually look like with zero repurchases? Well, a lender that has that's that's a, the shooting for an objective of zero repurchases, first of all, would approach the problem differently. They'd approach it from a systems perspective, because frankly, for the last umpteen hundred years of mortgage making, <laughs> it's been around for forever. Um, the approach has been more process oriented. So when I say a systems approach, what that implies is that you would use systems that would operate inside your LOS at the point of sale, somewhere in the post-closing process that would use either expert systems or other tools that would allow the lender to, to, to provide a division of labor that allows the humans to focus more on the, the areas of subject matter, subject matter expertise and allows the systems to do the tedious things, the calculations, the compliance with the guidelines, the judgments regarding income, credit, and asset assessment. And frankly, part of what you'd like to do is you'd like to augment what the humans can do by allowing the machines to do the things that are tedious, time-consuming, and frankly, the humans are probably not the best at over time. And since we're in this new normal these days, how is the term repurchase defined? Well, that's a great question. I mean, first, I don't think it would be called a repurchase if we were to achieve this, this zero repurchase circumstance. In my estimation, loans with one or more significant defects necessitate a change in price or are unacceptable for purchase. One cur- would not occur anymore. The systematic approach will render more of these errors as findings that do not amount to a significant defect or allow the lenders to rebut the repurchase demand by providing evidence of their diligence in underwriting alone through capture of the data, calculations, and documents that have been utilized to make the decision. That's actually one of the thresholds today that's very difficult for a lender to provide. Imagine you know, with systems like expert systems, like Candor, we're able to capture the thought life that went in uniformly every time a loan has been underwritten. So we're going to provide in a rebuttal the kind of information that would support all of the options we chose to look at in calculating income, all of the options we chose to look at and how we assess the assets or assess credit. That's very difficult to do if you don't have a system like that because you're not capturing the notes 
of an underwriter. You're not capturing the thoughts of an underwriter. You're not capturing the discourse that might have occurred between two underwriters working through a difficult situation. This new normal would make repurchase less evident and frankly, less, well, not less evident, less frequent. And frankly, it would be, it would probably resolve more of a negotiated settlement for to some lesser form of recourse or make whole or indemnity that will replace the repurchase. A negotiated settlement of sorts versus a demand. And let's bring this all together to close. Can fintech deliver solutions to these larger issues? And, and if so, where? Well, it's a great question. Um, I've been in this industry for, for 25 years. And the one thing I could say is 25 years ago, there was a lot less capital and a lot less effort focused on doing these issues. And through the crisis up to today, there's been a lot more capital and a lot more focus on quality. However, financial techno technologies like expert systems are doing this today from point of sale through post-closing. The lenders who've decided to implement these systems are more able to efficiently align the interests of the consumer for speedy commitment to a loan with the investor's requirement for the highest loan quality. I think the, the real point here is that being able to sign to, to, to uh, provide a consumer with a rapid commitment while you're able to meet the loan quality expectations of the investor is actually a strategic benefit. And focusing on this objective of zero defects actually makes you rethink the problem and it may align incentives more tightly such that what was conflicting about the cost associated with quality and, and the need for quality now becomes aligned because you're serving a borrower that is coming to you because of the speed that, are, that occurs as a result. And the investor who is very interested in seeing the kind of organization and evidence associated with the activities that these systems provide. So in many cases, probably the big difference that I would highlight is that process platforms will do a lot to help organize the work. Systems platforms will do a lot to make sure the work gets done uniformly. And I think that's the step that's going to move us forward. And FinTech can do that. You know, it's conversations like these that give me a lot of optimism for where the industry is headed, even in kind of lean times like we're in right now. Tom, very informative today. Thank you very much for making the time and hopefully we'll have you back on soon. Thanks a bunch, Robbie. I look forward to it. Expectations that the Federal Reserve will continue robust interest rate increases have pushed the yield on the 30-year Treasury to the highest point since 2014. Cleveland Fed President Mester offered a very hawkish speech yesterday, reiterating that taming inflation comes first and everything follows from that. Quote, Price stability is necessary for ensuring that the U.S. can sustain healthy labor market conditions over the medium and longer run. Before I conclude that inflation has peaked, I will need to see several months of declines in the month-over-month -month readings, and it will be necessary to move the nominal Fed funds rate up to somewhere above 4% by early next year and hold it there. I do not anticipate the Fed cutting the Fed funds rate target next year. End quote. She did provide some thoughts on balance sheet reduction as well, saying, The reduction in our balance sheet is being done primarily by adjusting how much we reinvest of the principal payments we receive on our assets. Without asset sales, the process could take three years or so. I would favor the FOMCs considering selling some of our agency mortgage-backed securities at some point during balance sheet reduction in order to speed the return of our portfolio's composition 
to being primarily treasury securities. One potential way to implement sales would be to sell agency securities up to the cap in any month in which principal payments were less than the cap. This is similar to our treatment of treasuries. Another way to implement sales would be to set a monthly floor on reductions, which would be met first by principal payments received and then by sales. End quote. Traders continue to assess market data before the FOMC meeting at the end of the month to see how far the central bank will go in its battle against inflation. The thinking is that the more positive the economic figures, the less the Fed will have to worry its aggressive hiking cycle will trigger a downturn. Today's potential highlight was the latest ECB decision, which yielded a 75 base point rate hike, as well as ECB head Lagarde's press conference shortly thereafter. Domestically, Fed Chair Powell is also scheduled to speak, alongside Chicago Fed President Evans. Weekly jobless claims were released this morning, registering in at 222000 for last week. Later this morning brings Freddie Mac's primary mortgage market survey and July consumer credit. Today's MBS purchase operation, the last of the week, with only two operations remaining afterwards, sees the desk in Gini 2 4% through 5% for up to $386 million. We begin the day with agency MBS prices better by a couple of ticks, and the 10-year yielding 3.23 after closing yesterday at 3.22%. Let's wrap up with a joke and some housekeeping. I wrote a book on how to fall down the stairs. It's a step-by-step guide. (laughs) Thanks again to this week's podcast sponsor, Candor, home of the one-touch underwrite, supporting lenders from point-of-sale to post-close QC, reduce repurchase risk, Increase underwriter productivity by 400% and decrease turn times by 10 days. If you have any questions about the podcast or sponsoring opportunities, send me an email at robbie at robchrisman.com. Visit robchrisman.com for more information on our industry partners, access to archived commentaries, and how to subscribe to the daily mortgage news and commentary. To listen to or download past episodes of this podcast, search Mortgage News on any platform you get your podcast from.